My name is Brendan Fleming, and you are joining us for the Gloriosos Apetito um, podcast. We're doing a series of podcasts to um, bring uh, people's attention and sort of um, remind us all that we are still wanting to share ideas about food and cooking, um, culture, and, and getting together even in our um, socially distanced uh, measures that we're that we're all kind of working under right now. Um, so welcome, welcome to Gloriosa's Italian Market. My name is Brendan Fleming. Um, I am a chef instructor here. Uh, I've been lucky enough to do that for about a year now, um, and uh, I've been a chef for longer than that. Um, probably going on twelve or thirteen years. Um, and uh, one of my favorite things to do is to get in front of a class. Um, talk about uh, recipes, um, food, uh, different people's traditions, and and uh, and so this is our our way of doing that in this time when we're not able to do that in person. So, uh, welcome. I'm sitting here with Betty, um, an event coordinator here at Gloriosa. So, Betty, you want to say hello and introduce yeah. yourself? Well? Hi, hi to everyone out there. Um, so, I am the event coordinator, um, appetito coordinator of cooking classes and events. Um, we are going a little bit different of a route during these times. Um, like Brendan said, uh, doing podcasts and webinars and virtual cooking classes. Um, so, yes, yeah, so what I do here is I basically coordinate anything we're going to do in the space. And I've had the pleasure of working with Brendan. We have a lot of fun together. Too much fun sometimes. Yes, sometimes. No, never too much fun. <laughs> no, it's not ever, too much ever. fun. So. Yeah. So we're here um, to talk a little bit about the history of the space of Appetito, which was the original Glorioso's grocery store, as many of you may or may not know. Yeah. So, um, so where we're sitting right now is in the uh, event space for Appetito. So, um, some of you may have been here, some of you haven't been uh, yet. Hopefully, uh, whenever you get a chance, um, make sure you make some time to come in. Uh, it's a really gorgeous space, and uh, it's on uh, Brady Street, um, where the the building that we're sitting in right now is the original. Glorioso's Italian Market. And so a lot of you may remember coming in. I remember coming in as a kid, walking in through sort of um, narrow hallways and walkways with um, uh, gorgeous and mysterious Italian groceries rising on either side of me, (laughs) Um, kind of turning a corner sharply and going back to the big deli counter. Um, And uh, uh, at the over time, that space um, grew to be too small for Glorioso's. Um, They outgrew it and um, Michael Glorioso, uh, who took over the business um, a number of years ago, probably seven, eight. No, like, well, I think 12, we were about 12 years 12 ago. 12 years ago? Okay, yeah. so he's been mm-hmm. a real like spearhead of, of, of sort of bringing Gloriosos into the new uh, millennium, so to speak, and, uh, and um, bought the, what had been the Brady Street Pharmacy, which you might remember too. There was um, across the street, across... Uh, Brady Street, Brady and Aster. Aster thank you. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Humboldt, but it's not Humboldt. Um, so on Brady and Aster, that space is a, a much larger space and was renovated and, and brought into the new, the new day contemporary um, age with uh, with a lot more space for Gloriosos. Space dedicated for bakery counters, space dedicated to um, cheese, which there's a huge selection of that I love to go through every time I get a chance. Um, the deli counter, of course, uh, homemade sausage that's mm-hmm. just as good as anything you'd find anywhere in the world, I think. Um, and then um, sort of an expanded space for uh, wine and uh, Italian liqueurs and, and other things. Um, 
That left this space that we're sitting in now across the street empty. So the question was what to do with it, right? Right. Um, and uh, what's been done with it, I think, is sort of remarkable. It's been turned into like a three-pronged area. And the, the um, furthest to the west is the um, catering production kitchen. So Boreosis has had this huge surge of, of business in, in catering, and, and so they needed a dedicated space for it. And I have worked in a lot of kitchens, you guys, and that is a nice, nice kitchen. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. beautiful, yeah. gleaming chrome. Um, lots of space, brand new hood, and, and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, a dedicated uh, pastry preparation area, which you walk back in and you see, when I first walked in, I don't know, I may have told you this. Oh, the mixer. Yeah, it's yeah. like 10 feet tall, and it weighs 7,000 pounds. It's just, it's like a KitchenAid mixer, but it's yeah. enormous. It's like giant, and I love that kind of stuff. So I, um, whenever, when I first walked in, I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And um, so then a lot of other space for, like, ranges. There's this uh, pizza oven. Um, and then it comes back into a dish space. So that's the, the west side of the building. Now, the middle is an event space. And, and um, this is sort of uh, one of Betty's real domains, right? So this mm-hmm. is you you um, figure out the format and decoration, seasonal yep. kind of stuff I've seen you do. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite season to decorate for, by the way? Oh, gosh. Christmas, probably. Yeah, me honestly. too. Honestly. Anything too. in the winter. Me too, yeah. And because like the warmth, know? right? The coziness, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. For so sure. We have, um, and so last last winter we had Italian cookies, which was a lot of fun. And I came in um, to find that Betty had sort of redone this event space, this middle space. It's like a winter wonderland with like, cranberries and very all very like tasteful and chic and That's right. floating cranberries mm-hmm. floating in water, and it was lovely. But it was so cool. And so then, um, so that's that's our middle space here, and that's where people come when when we have um, cooking classes. Uh, in our school space, which is the third space, which is on the east side of the building, um, when we have uh, cooking classes, um, after our cooking classes are over, people will all sort of filter out into this event space in the middle and mingle and meet new people that they were having cooking lessons next to and enjoy their meals. And there's big tables, there's little tables, um, spaces for appetizers, and we'll put coffee up too sometimes. Um, so all in all, really neat sort of gathering space in the middle. And then with plenty of like cool old pictures of the Glorioso brothers in the 50s and 60s and, and uh, a, sort of a real strong tradition in that way. And then my favorite spot, when you go to the east side of the building, you see um, the cooking school, which I think is, I don't know what you think. Do you think like America's Test Kitchen kind of deal? Yeah. Or, yeah. Cleaner lines, I'd say, yeah. but yes. Yeah, it's a clean. beautiful space. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. Beautiful and, space. Um, if you have your, you want to have your Martha Stewart fantasy day, that's, that's where it. you go. It's like just gorgeous. And so there's big um, prep tables that kind of come up to, you know, waist height on me and um, uh, in lines and um, whatever cooking equipment we'll be using for the day is laid out for people. Um, and then in the front of that space, kind of on the bank of windows out to Lady Street is the, the actual kitchen itself. And it's this gorgeous wraparound marble and, and, um, and wonderful range and the hood and um, the hood does its best to keep the smoke that I um, <laughs> emit from all of my cooking out of people's <laughs> eyes. It doesn't always work because I usually put off a lot of smoke when I cook. Um, do you remember the time that yes. we were? Yeah. So do we, not preheat the pans. <laughs> don't preheat the pans. Everyone. And he did. The, the pans were under. Well, the pans weren't under the hood. That's the thing. That's the problem. If the pans had been under the hood, then I wouldn't have smoked oh, out the whole so building. Fun. But um, I did, and yeah. we recovered. We survived. <laughs> We survived. A little coughing involved. Yeah, a little coughing. A little <laughs> I'm so bad. But it's okay. It happens. Um, it happens to me a lot because I'm a messy and a smoky cook. 
Um, so uh, there, uh, then in the front of that, you'll, there's this beautiful sort of even photo-worthy, wonderful cooking space that, um, that we like to set up and show people all of the recipes that we make um, for our classes and that we're using now sort of in conjunction with these podcasts to make um, uh, webinars, so web-based cooking classes. And um, this podcast, as it relates to Italian history and family and community in Milwaukee, is is its own standalone thing, but it also sort of feeds into one of our um, webinars, our cooking um, and uh, And we'll kind of cover how it does that later on, and, and you can sort of get, a, get an idea of what you might be in for. Um, but so that is our, our space here at Apatito, and um, we would love, love, love for you to come and join us in it sometime. So, uh, Betty, would you tell us a little bit about some of your memories about the process of getting ready for some of the first classes? Oh, sure. Here. So, um, Michael Glorioso hired me to basically uh, run the cooking school. Yeah. So, I worked directly with the chefs mm-hmm. and um, their recipes, and my job is to figure out the flow of class. Mm-hmm. Uh, in what order we're going to cook everything, and then what every single person needs at their station in order to cook. So, having never done that my whole life... Mm-hmm. Um, you picked it up remarkably quickly. I, I it was exciting. <laughs> I, I, um, our very first hands-on cooking class was that I was a part of. I did come and I watched when Michael Solovey did our first hands-on class. I worked with him. Did you guys know that? Yeah, I know he that. Was the, he, was, he, was, he hired me At to Chilatab, teach my right? first cooking mm-hmm. class ever in life. Yeah. So um, Michael asked me to come observe the class to make sure I wanted to be involved in this venture. So yeah. I came and Michael said, put an apron on and go help Michael whatever he needs help with. Yeah. And I did. And I learned a lot from him right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And then... That was Michael did two classes, and then uh, he went on to other ventures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So our very first cooking class, and I was kind of flying solo. Sure, sure. And I just went through the recipes and figured out what everyone needed to cook with. We figured out the flow, and it was a process. And our first cooking class was a knife skills class. Oh, yeah. We did not have enough people. Mm-hmm. So we had some people that had to stand in, and we invited to the class so that we oh. could at least conduct the class. To see how the chef did. Yeah, like a soft opening je- kind of. Exactly. Yeah. So we did that, and um, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, I have oh, to yeah. say, because every chef has a different personality. Yep, yep. Um, but every time I worked with a different chef, I learned something new. Um, um, one chef in particular who she did, I think, two classes, and then her husband got transferred back out east. Mm-hmm. But she had taught cooking classes forever, and I learned so much from her yeah. still resonates with me. Kristen was an amazing mm-hmm. mentor to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So now so we're of, figuring yeah. out how to do webinars and virtual yep. classes. I mean, so we're still learning. Change to fit the times, right? You got to right, sort of right. figure out how to get it together. And I yeah. think it's going great. I had the most fun shooting the cooking class, the webinar. We, we, we recorded it two weeks ago, something yes. like that. Yep. It was the most fun. I thought it was really, really uh, a cool thing and a good way to use the space because we're not able to have in-person classes right, right now. We will. And as right. soon as it's safe and we're able to, to start them up again, we will. So keep checking back and we'll publish when that can happen, you know. 
Um, and as soon as it can, we absolutely will. And I remember, you know, we've all talked with Michael about this and uh, Michael Glory also about, you know, when that happens and like what sort of things will be in place, right. dividers and, right. and safety equipment and, and making and, and fewer people, you know, and making it so that it really is um, comfortable for everyone because you know, that's why we're here at the end of the day. We want to have our cooking classes, but we want them to be promoting this kind of like togetherness and, and feeling the love that, 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 that we want right. and that we have been able to in person. Um, and we will be able to do that again, but we want to make sure that safety is a part of that because if it's not, then we're not going to be able to have that, you know? All right. So let's get into a little bit of our main topic today, which you've seen as you're clicking on this podcast is the, the Italian um, community and presence in Milwaukee over the course of the last 100 odd years, 130, 140, yeah. 150 years even, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the where we went, you know, we wanted to learn about sort of the broad range of that history. And so we went to historians. And luckily, luckily, in Milwaukee, we've got a couple of great Italian historians. And you may um, have seen some of these books around. You may have, um, I think actually this one, I'm looking at right now, Images of America, Italian Milwaukee by Martin Hintz. Um, and I think you can actually buy this in the Walgreens on Brady. Yeah, it's. I, yeah. I was walking by the other day, and I, I got this one from the library. But I, got, I was walking through that Walgreens, and I was like, "Oh, huh." You buy that book. It's on It's on an edge cap. But if you are interested, go to that Walgreens on on Brady. Um, and uh, so we we um, used uh, a lot of good material from from that book to sort of learn about the Italian history in Milwaukee, and then also sort of the. Um, one of the sort of grand uh, historians of Italian culture in Milwaukee is named Mario Carini. Um, and he wrote a book called Milwaukee's Italians, the Early Years. And I found this one to be like the wealth of information. I, um, as I was starting to do the research for this and learn more about the history of Italians in Milwaukee, um, you know, I, I started at Google and to see, you know, what books might be available. And, um, and a lot of people have websites dedicated to this, you know, enthusiasts, right. histor- yeah. history enthusiasts. And nine out of 10 quote this book. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know. That's not a real statistic, but you know, it's like a lot. It's most of them quote this book. There's passages from it. So I was like, oh yeah, I guess I should just go read that book. And, um, so I got, I, I got a copy of it and I was able to read, uh, a fair amount of it and learn a fair amount of what and how the Italian community developed and came to Milwaukee and how it developed in Milwaukee. Um, and it was fascinating. It's really interesting. It, um, it started with, uh, a, sort of a reformation in Italy in, in the 1880s. And it was like a, a nationalization kind of. So it was like the kingdom of Italy. Um, and it brought together what had been smaller regional states. So Naples, um, uh, Rome, Florence, you know, Northern Italian, uh, Tuscany. I don't know the names of all of them. All of them have their own individual names that you'd be able to see in these books. But um, but what what that spurned was, uh, funnily enough, a national tax system, which if you are, have ever met me, that's one of my other things I'm interested in. <laughs> it's a weird contrast, but there you go. Um, and, and the reason that that made a lot of people emigrate from Italy to America is because um, the it was like a flat tax rate. And in the north, there was a lot more industry. People had better paying jobs. And so they were a lot able, they were able to more easily absorb those taxes, or maybe their taxes didn't change as much, but for people in the South, um, this national tax sort of system made it so they had to pay taxes on a level that they hadn't had to before. And, and it was a really hardship for a lot of people because they didn't have industry. They were, they were either, um, farming communities. Right. And so they just, it was, it was, it made things really, really hard for people in that sense. And so it was a, a motivation for a lot of people to come to, 
um, America and starting in New York. They would come, they would come to New York first. And, um, they would come in this wave, this 1880 to 1910 sort of wave. They came from majority southern Italy, um, right. Sicily, Calabria, um, let's see, where else? Other, um, provinces that we've got the names of that you can, that you can see. Um, but it was interesting to me because, uh, because it was such like a regional movement, right? Right. So it was mm-hmm. from, from the, uh, southern central Italy that most people in this wave came from, according to Mario Colini and, and Martin Hintz and, um, and our sort of, uh, great tradition of history keepers in Milwaukee in the Italian community. That's sort of their, their take on it. And people did come from the north too, from northern areas, but it was mostly from the central region. Um, and so we have a lot of Sicilians in Milwaukee, and that's one of the reasons why. Like it's a, it's that was the, the region that people came from. Um, and so uh, what happened was people came to New York. Can you imagine though, just uh, as a, like a human story piece, like you're 20 years old and you get out of boat and you don't speak the language of the place that you're going and you don't, you know, maybe one person and and like your cousin or your friend or somebody Mm -hmm. that you kind of know, you know, somewhere, but you don't exactly know where. So people did that. People got on, um, on to ships and came to New York and many, 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 many stayed in New York. Um, many, many, many went West and then maybe to California they tried to go or, or even, you know, to the, to the, to the West, the American West, but, Maybe they got to Chicago and many stayed there too, right? Um, and then, you know, as that happens in progression, um, some who had come to Chicago went north instead of continuing west or staying in Chicago. Um, they came to Milwaukee. And um, so we, between those years, that 1880 to 1910, we got, you know, a, a population of several thousand Italian immigrants in Milwaukee. And um, mostly they came to the Third Ward. So... There were a couple of sort of features of um, the arrival experience in Milwaukee for um, Italian immigrants that Mario Carini and, and Martin Hintz um, uh, describe. And, and one of them was that for the, the first wave of people that came here to the Third Ward um, and some other places too, but majority, that's where people came. And I think it was really a function of like, um, if you're, you're coming here, you don't know anybody, maybe you know one person. Right. So you go to the, where that one person is. Yeah, you go where they are. Yeah, right. and, and, and maybe you can sleep on the couch for a couple of days until you get your own place. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, so that was, that, was, um, that was what happened. That's where people went. They went to the third ward where they knew people. Um, and they were also predominantly at that point um, young single men that were kind of striking out. Um, you know, nobody had uh, or many people hadn't established families yet. Um, but so the men would come by themselves or with friends to come and find work and they would work in, um, textiles or the railroad. Um, they would work in industry and they would start lives. And, and a lot of times what I found was really interesting. They would be here for parts of the year and then they would go back to Italy for parts of the year and then come back. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't think that. No, it, it happened. even go back. Because it's not like so easy to get back and forth. No, and especially at the time, right? right? It was like weeks. <laughs> but I think, um, and I don't think it was everybody. I don't think that's what they were saying in the books. But they, um, but they said it did happen a lot. That people wow. would come and work seasonally and then go home 
Um, and then uh, that, that led to a lot of times sort of coming back and then somebody else might come with you. Do you know what I mean? Right, sure. Whether it was a friend or a family member or a bride. A bride. You're, right. Yep, exactly. And so that would, over the course of the first, like if you, you're here, you're here for the first time, you're 25, you found a job, maybe you go back and then um, you find someone, you get married to them and you come back, you know, you, you still have the strong ties to, to your, your home where you're from, even as you're kind of building a new home here. Right. And so the real message of, of both of these books is that over the course of the years, that's how the community sort of took root, is that people would come, some people would go and come back, some people would stay, but but more people would, the word would get out that this is where some people were, and, and if you wanted to come to work or you are um, you got married and you wanted to start a family, um, you you may find yourself in the third ward of Milwaukee just sort of naturally. It was never like a, a planned thing. I don't think it was just no. that that's how people that's how life moves, right? I mean, you you're young and you go and strike out somewhere new and then you start a life, right? Right. And I think that's what happened um, in in the third ward of Milwaukee with the Italian population, according to Karini and. And hints, which is um, fascinating to me. It's like the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Like somebody's, everyone who's young has a hope and a dream, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's not, I didn't make that up. I heard that on one of them. But it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Everybody's got yeah. a hope and a dream. And it wasn't any different in 1890. I mean, people were young and they wanted something new, you know? Um, and then they uh, got established and they made families and, and, and um, extended families came and lived with them from right. places, you know, mother-in-law or you have children and um, and your children are here. And then um, the really fascinating thing that I saw is that, or that I read and just started thinking about is that when you have children, then your children, if they're here, they're, they're here, they're from here, you know, right. they have this super strong community, family history of, of Italian culture, but also then, you know, they, they grow up in, um, in, in Milwaukee. And then they get was, married and they start raising their families. And they, here yeah, and, and then tells all the time. It just mm-hmm. progresses like, yeah. like nature would, right? And, um, so, so, uh, as a, um, as an example of how, you know, the, the community grew and why it grew, it was really the natural growth of families, I think, is what did mm-hmm. it. Um, or what the, 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 our two historians here are, are sort of say, are describing as, as what did it. And, um, so we've got a couple of, important uh, benchmarks and, and a lot of them had to do with like the evolution of family life like you say so Our Lady of Pompeii was established in the early 1900s as like the sort of general um, gathering place of the Italian community in the third ward and because religion was such an important part of family life it became sort of a, a, a community center right and um, and uh, so that was um, for many years that was sort of the religious Part of the Italian community, according to Carini and Hints, um, and uh, went through uh, a variety of um, important roles in people's lives. It played an important role in, role in people's lives. And um, to move forward, then to develop the uh, um, families and communities, started uh, to create uh, community organizations. So. Um, Eventually, uh, so here we are in the early 1900s, and there are a few thousand Italians in uh, Milwaukee in the Third Ward. And one of the sort of descriptions of uh, community organizations that I found really interesting were these mutual aid societies, is what they were called, and they were um, civic groups. But they right. would be they would be groups that um, that families would contribute to small amounts of money and and um, 
and they would be for the betterment of the of the community. Sometimes they ran um, Italian lessons, Italian language mm-hmm. lessons for children that were growing up in the tens, the twenties, the thirties, the forties in Milwaukee, and they would also provide um, death benefits, which is oh really, but useful, right? I mean, right. I never thought about that, but but um, they would uh, provide, they would uh, help pay for funerals when somebody would pass away, and that's what they would use dues for. So people would pay dues to mutual aid societies, and then they would be there to help mark the sort of life passage points that, that you know, people experience, marriage, you know, children, um, community help with raising children and, and, and community centers, and then also um, ultimately death, right? That they right. would help with yeah. know, things. I thought that was an interesting... They said, Mario Carini was saying it was sort of like a precursor to life insurance. Right. <laughs> it was like a, a smart, community... Though. Yes, yeah. smart. Community-based um, life, life insurance. So I thought that was really neat. Um, and And... As uh, we're getting now into the 10s and the 20s, people are starting families. And I, I one of the other um, trad- traditions or, or themes that I found was interesting that they both um, brought up was that uh, in families at the time, everybody worked. Everyone worked. So um, parents, and this was kind of interesting. It reminded me of our sort of modern gig economy and culture, Uber and and. Uh, uh, Instacart, all the side, all the side hustles, hustles. Yeah. yeah. But that would be a really um, regular thing for um, women to do if they were staying in the home raising children. They would bring in either laundry or sewing, mm-hmm. um, skilled work like lace work, right. making lace and things like that for different um, factories in town. Um, and uh, and they would supplement incomes in that way. And then also children, as soon as they would be able to contribute, would contribute because right. it was a difficult um, time. People didn't have a lot money and they would they were in somewhere new they hadn't been established yet so everyone had to contribute and i thought that was interesting because it kind of leads to um the the i think a strengthening of family ties like when i was a kid everyone had to do the same thing everyone right. had to chip in or whatever even if it was the dishes or this or that the other thing but um but i think that that was uh that that was a theme that was real strong that that both karini and hints were talking about that everyone um pulled their weight as much right. as they could everyone contributed what they could but people did it together. It was the important right, thing. Right. And um, as we get into our role in talking about the evolution of the Italian community in Milwaukee um, and its history, we talk about some of that, everybody coming together. And that's what we here at Coriosos get to enjoy mm-hmm. now in our classes. Yep. We get to enjoy um, the sort of fruits of, of everyone's hard work all coming together, um, doing a little more work. We usually keep it pretty fun. You might have to roll some milkies or whatever, but we usually keep it pretty uh, pretty light. But uh, but everybody chips in, and then we all eat together at the end of it, which I think is the most fun. That is definitely the most fun. It is the most fun. And um, um, we, uh, for, for our podcast uh, today, we are talking a little bit at the end of it. We're, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, our webinar um, our cooking class that we've recorded and what we used for that cooking class, I was, I was pressed when I was writing it. I didn't know what to do. I was like, who, how am I going to, I, I, I love, um, our, all of our sort of cultural communities in Milwaukee. I myself am Irish. So I don't have the Italian history in the family to say this is my grandmother's recipe. And so I was like, oh God, what am I going to do when I write this menu? And it's <laughs> themed around Italian culture and growth in Milwaukee. But I was saved by an angel. Um, in the form of a book that I found on my shelf, my cookbook shelf. People get me cookbooks all the time. Like it's a very common gift that I get. Um, and this one was the Italian Community Center cookbook from 1985, which is um, the evolution of, of Italian community groups and religious groups um, as they came from the, the Blessed 
uh, version of Pompeii, which uh, Betty was kind of reminding me that was uh, torn down eventually yeah. in like the, the what decade? The fifties or the sixties, maybe? I don't know. Forties even? I, no, 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 not that it long. It was ago. later because was I later. think it was when they wasn't it when they started building the market. Yeah, the freeway. Freeway yeah. exchanger. Yeah. In that. I mean, I didn't live here then, so I don't remember. No, but it, I, it, but I feel like it was in too. that in that time frame. In that time frame, and so yeah. they they, they it was did a and big deal. They tore that a big church down because it was a huge heart of the community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happened um, is afterwards uh, uh, that uh, marked sort of a, a, a changing point a little bit around that time period in the third ward. Um, that uh, I, and especially as children grew up and wanted to move on, mm-hmm. move to their own spots and start their own lives again, that second generation, they may um, have contributed to that too. But also with the the tearing down of the church and the establishment of St. Rita's Church mm-hmm. here, kind of just that blocks became the community church. That right? was the community mm-hmm. church, and it's over here on Brady Street or close mm-hmm. to Brady Street. Um, and so that then, you know, in that time period is when. Um, the the Italian community on Brady Street sort of started to flourish. And right. It was opening flower shops and barber shops and grocery stores. Like a lot of grocery stores. A lot of grocery stores. And Gloriosa's Italian market um, is now the, the only last one left. One, yeah. And and in in great part because of really sound family commitment to it. And mm-hmm. then also commitment to sort of moving forward and making it into something that is still that people still enjoy and love, and they get right. the same great it's quality a destination. food. But it's a destination, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not necessarily the corner market anymore. So. Right. Although the nice thing about it is that it still does retain that character. Oh, for sure. Do you know what I mean? We have all our regulars that come, and we know all our regulars. Yep, yep. yep absolutely. Mm-hmm. But that's that was then that sort of that movement, that evolution of of that first wave of Italian immigrants in the Third Ward came in a large part to Brady Street, and of course to everywhere else too. This isn't a no, no. There's no one story that fits every single person that ever came here. So this right. is, you know, broad trends and this is kind of the, the broad trends that the historians lay out. So, so there, that brings us to, to St. Rita's, that brings us to Gloriosos, that brings us to the Italian Community Center, which was on Hackett. Um, and the Italian Community Center was founded as like a headquarters um, and a planning ground for um, Festa, Festa Italiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I um, not this year, of course, because we are dealing with our social distancing and all, but um, Festa Italiana is a yearly Italian culture and food festival that we have here in Milwaukee that is draws tens of thousands of people. I, mean, I think it might be the largest in the country, actually. We have that for a lot sure. of them. It's weird, but yeah. but because of our Summerfest grounds. Yeah. Like, Summerfest is the largest music festival in the world, in the world. I think, mm-hmm. because it's over the course of 10 or 12 days, and it's like 120,000 people a yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, I might be wrong. If anybody wants to, they, they check it, if it's Coachella <laughs> now. The, it might be. I don't know, <laughs> but it's a huge one, anyways. But be, it's because of those festival grounds, and Festa Italiana is held on the same ground yep. as, as Summerfest, and so we have this really unique sort of resource for that. But um, that brings us to the Italian Community Center, and it brings us to our source for the recipes for our webcast, our our our, our webinar, our pot, um, cooking class we've uh, created, and it's from the Italian Community Center cookbook from 1985 and these were recipes it's a cookbook it's about how many pages this is a couple hundred 175 pages of recipes that were donated by italian community center members in 19 early 1980s and so these would have been younger people too but i'm imagining that it would have been some sort of middle-aged and older people at the time who had grown up in 
um, the Italian community in Milwaukee in the Third Ward, also on Brady Street. And so I thought, okay, this is good. These are the recipes that my own um, cultural history does not have. Right. I've got shepherd's pie and, and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some things like that, but none of the Italian recipes. Um, I was always a generalist in, in my, uh, or I have always been a generalist in my cooking career. So I've gotten a lot of exposure to Italian cuisine mm-hmm. and cooking. Um, and I'm happy over the moon to, to teach people what I know about it. But that's the best part about our classes is that a lot of people will have grown up in those traditions. Yeah. And so they bring that. So we learn something every oh, time. We do. Every time. Remember when we did our Italian cookie class? Oh, do I, yes. Yes. We, we had great cookies. They were wonderful. It was like the ricotta cookie with the, and then little, um, you know, almond, uh, oh, dough gosh. and amaretti. And they were wonderful, yeah. but they were very standard, um, generic Italian cookie Christmas cookie recipes. But then people came and they told us about all the ones that they had growing <laughs> that up. we were not making. We were not. But you know what? It's still a fun time. Because we had some great little Italian ladies in that class, Yeah, we actually. did. They, they yeah. were, they, and that's always fun because then you hear about what they made growing up. And the, the truth of it is that whatever the exact iteration of what you're making at the time, really it's about like the family and the, the work to give somebody something delicious right. and nice. And mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's... You know, we, we use those as jumping off points, but we always get really great feedback from people. Um, and then we, you know, we use those pieces of feedback to, to evolve our own recipes. Um, and that's what I use this for. I use this cookbook to get that sort of input that I might not have been able to find. And I was completely lucky. I found it on my own cookbook shelf and I had no idea that it was there. Uh, it was great. And so we used it to uh, develop the recipes for our um, our webcast uh, cooking class. So as we talk about the um, the movement of the Italian community, or parts of it from the Third Ward to Brady Street, one of the things that we talk about and that Michael Carini and Martin Hintz talk about a lot is um, housing and, and the, uh, the, the hunger of housing in the Third Ward of good housing, right? And, and as people started to have families and, and become more established in the community, they, they wanted... Um, you know, they wanted something different. This happens to a lot of people. You get your starter house and then you, you have a family and kids and you want to figure out. <laughs> Again, as we're talking about the natural sort of evolution of families, that's kind of where it comes from. And, and, um, and as people, uh, uh, were sort of faced with this, this lack of good housing in the third world and the affordable housing too, because there would be spaces that would be, you know, they would charge, I think above market rent is what, um, Mario Carini was saying for places that were not up to yeah they said the conditions were horrible yeah, yeah. in the third ward yeah, back and, in the day yeah and people so they so so there was a big expansion to Brady Street and that brought with it business and it brought with it Gloriosos Italian Market it brought with us a lot of the other places that we know the institutions that are still around Cortino's Bakery Zafiro's Pizza um, Angelo's Piano Lounge and Fazio's Dry Cleaning um, along with countless others and, and dozens more. Um, uh, small neighborhood grocery stores, corner stores, um, and, and just, then the sausage markets. Like I remember, yeah, there used to be some yeah. place my parents used to come down. All they did was make Italian sausage oh. somewhere around the corner from Astor. I don't re- really remember, yeah, because um, I was so young when I came down here. But mm-hmm. that's all they made. That's but that was it. Just specialty places, right? Yeah. So one place mm-hmm. for the butcher, one place for. The, or maybe um, just produce. Just Remember produce, produce, right, stands? yeah. Well, and it's funny because a lot of the produce distributors in town that started in the Third Ward and came here to Brady Street are still in action today. So when I was starting out in the kitchen and I started um, in 2005 in, at the Ozaki Country Club, 
And so one of my jobs, because I was the breakfast cook, I had to check in the produce orders in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the names that I was reading in these books are the same names that were on those yeah. invoices. Yeah. And it was, so it was AJ, Anton Genero, and Maki mm-hmm. is another big one. Um, and so those are businesses that are still running today. Yeah. It's not, it's not just, uh, it's not just, um, just in the past. And, um, so with that, we're going to take a moment and we're going to give the mic over to Michael Glorioso, um, to tell us a little bit about the story in particular of the Glorioso brothers and the founding of Glorioso's Italian market. So Glorioso's, uh, uh, Italian market, uh, Opened in 1946 on Valentine's Day when my uh, dad, Teddy, and his two brothers, Joe and Eddie, uh, bought an existing small uh, Italian market. Uh, and in the very beginning, the brothers focused on produce, with my grandfather uh, being uh, an Italian uh, Sicilian immigrant uh, who had a horse-drawn wagon and a new produce. That's what the brother, uh, brothers knew as well. So uh, over time, uh, they uh, added different uh, Italian specialties and imports that they could uh, uh, get into the Milwaukee market and ran uh, the original Gloriosos for a total of uh, 64 years. Uh, In that time, a couple of other key things happened with the uh, family business is they took over the space next to the grocery store and in in the early uh, 1950s, uh, opened up Trio's Pizza, Trio being three in uh, uh, Italian for the three brothers. Uh, and Trio's Pizza was the third pizza place in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, in addition, they were the first to deliver pizzas to their customers. Uh, and in addition to that, they were the first to commercially make pizzas and sell them in grocery stores in the greater Milwaukee area. Uh, in 1960, uh, next to the uh, original grocery store, the brothers bought uh, a uh, gas station that was just to the west of us and tore it down and built Glorioso's Italian Villa. Uh, Glorioso's Italian Villa was a very, uh, how should I say, famous uh, restaurant here in Milwaukee for about 35 years. Uh, Many uh, movie stars, uh, uh, celebrities, uh, sports figures uh, would come to uh, Glorioso's when they uh, came to uh, Milwaukee. Uh, In addition to uh, the Italian Villa, which uh, uh, the uh, family ran for 35 years. In the uh, early 60s, they also bought the building to the east of the original grocery store and expanded the family grocery deli into that space as well. So 64 years in business on the north side of uh, Brady Street. Uh, and uh, in 2010, uh, the family uh, allowed me to uh, uh, open up a new grocery store directly across the street from us, Glorioso's Italian Market. Uh, at that point in time, when we transitioned over, uh, we had six employees and nine family members in the business. When we transitioned across the street, we uh, ended up with 67 employees, and today we still have five family members uh, involved in the business on a daily basis. So we certainly have come a long way uh, We, with 67 employees and managers and things we still try to keep our old world uh, feel and certainly uh, the family uh, is the heartbeat of, of our business. Uh, and when I say that, I just don't mean my immediate family, but certainly the community that has supported us for so many years and continues to bring generation upon generation of family members uh, back to Gloriosos. Uh, in 2018, Gloriosos uh, remodeled the original uh, grocery store space and opened up Glorioso's Apetito. Glorioso's Apetito uh, is our culinary center, our catering kitchen, our small bakery, and our event space. 
we learned a lot in our first year uh, uh, operating Apetito, and in 2019, things just really started uh, taking off. We uh, not only use our team of chefs uh, and managers in the cheese department, to the bakery department, the beverage department, uh, to teach classes, but we also bring in some uh, quite talented uh, chefs uh, from outside of our immediate business. Uh, things are going great at Apetito. We hope to open up again in 2021 with hands-on classes. In the meantime, look for our webinars, our podcasts, and our virtual classes. Things are great at Gloriosos. Uh, we look forward to seeing everyone down at the store. And bon appetito. Grazie. So, so now we've got the backstory, right? We've heard from Michael Glorioso about what happened um, with the Glorioso brothers uh, and, and the founding of Glorioso's Italian market and why and how it's made it now to the 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 the, um, the, the modern day. So we've got the backstory and, and that's the, the the living, the breathing development of Glorioso's in Milwaukee. And it it really is that because it really is just a family working really, really, really hard and really I mean, committed. Really, Teddy's ninety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if mm-hmm. he could come, still come to work every single day if it weren't for COVID, he would be here. He would be here. Yeah. I, I, I believe yep. it hundred percent. I believe mm-hmm. it hundred percent. It really is that love of the um of uh food and also dedication to hard work too. That's it's not not nothing, right? Well and the work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Oh God. Oh my God. It's oh my amazing. Gosh. It's amazing. Yeah. Um I admire it and I admire it very much. Uh so so that's the that's the history that we found. That's the story of our neighborhood, you know. Uh, and the crowning glory has got to be the food. Oh, for sure. Just a little live action on Brady Street. Oh yeah, you can hear our sirens <laughs> just, in the background. Just, I was just wondering, should we do that again? No, no, that's okay. That's that, that's our that's our our ambience. Just life on Brady Street. That's life on Brady Street. You hear this? You hear the the fire trucks every yeah, once in a while. Um, so, how could we end then, but with the food? Right? Of course. Uh, and we've got, like we were talking about, this extremely special source of recipes, the Italian Community Center Cookbook, uh, published in 1985 uh, and featuring recipes from um, members of the Italian community here in Milwaukee. And the, the ones that I've picked out, and this is my, my own fancy, but I like to do the classes that end in a nice... Um, display like an arrangement of a lovely plate, mm-hmm. and I it's I describe it as our top chef moment when people come to our, our classes, and they they do it. They you get to do it yourself. That's the great part. You know, we sort of set you up to get uh, those last few moments of that fun creativity that you get when you're sort of arranging lovely little pieces on a plate and um, and coming up with this uh, product that that you can be really proud of um, visually, and then of course more importantly that you can be proud of the taste and giving it to the people you love. That has to be the number one. I always have to say that mm-hmm. because I like to show people the flash and the glitz, but that's really not what it's about. It's about the the flavor and, and the giving it to people. So a lot of times when I'm in classes, I'll get some every once in a while somebody will look over the eyebrow a little bit and say, "Does it really matter if it looks that perfect little circle?" <laughs> right. No, it no. doesn't matter. It matters how right. it tastes. It matters how you feel giving it to the people you love. That's, that's really right. what matters. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We like to do that just because it's fun and it's kind of glitzy. But but um, but you're. Uh, you're always going to be you're always going to be counting on the actual the the oomph of the food, the warmth and the, and the flavor. So, so the ones that we've chosen for this um, class, I'm particularly excited about because, in my opinion, they kind of work for both. They're delicious, but they also work for the visual presentation. Yeah, the presentation. Mm-hmm. So we made um, tagliata with anchovy sauce, which is um, New York strip steak. And tagliata refers to the, the slicing on it. So we've um, grilled and then finished in an oven a New York strip steak that is. 
uh, lovely and, and divine, and then cut it um, and um, paired it with this anchovy sauce. That the recipe comes from Irene Chicharillo from the 1985 Italian Community Center cookbook. She had this anchovy sauce, which I, it always appeals to me because I love anchovies. Now, for people that don't like fish, the sauce doesn't taste like fish. <laughs> it's just rich and velvety and luscious. It doesn't yeah. taste fishy. Anchovies like deepens the flavor. Yes, absolutely. Almost I, nutty, almost yeah. nutty flavor. Umami flavor, yeah. that richness. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, if you uh, eat an anchovy fillet, it will taste like fish. But this, you cut it up very fine. You almost smush it and then you let it dissolve in the oil that you're you're cooking your shallots and, and the rest of your aromatics in, and it um, dissolves and you don't taste fish. So that's as a as a caveat for people who say no anchovies, this doesn't taste like anchovies. Doesn't taste like fish. Um, the next recipe that we use is torta di patate, which is from uh, Giulia Andrizi in the Italian Community Center cookbook. Um, so Betty, will you? Uh, so we we're done with this with class. We we, we filmed it already, and and I wanna um, I wanna see what you think about what we made. What do you what do you think? About it? Okay, so the food was delicious. It was delicious. And the thing that struck me was it actually was, it was very simple, very, I mean, people sometimes get, I think, intimidated when they, when you say you're going to make a sauce mm-hmm. that goes over mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. It was very, very simple. Um, the torta. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that was I'm the just saying, that was, that was the winner. We had a bunch of people that were filming with us and, and working too in the back. They came and everybody kind of gathered around and ate all of the food after we made it. And it that was, was the winner. It was fantastic. Um, and I don't eat meat, so I did not try the steak, but I tried the sauce. Mm-hmm. I put the sauce on the mm-hmm. torta, which is delicious. Mm-hmm. And then we had um, the fennel salad. Oh, yeah, that's number three. With orange and tomato. It was, mm-hmm. oh, we complimented it so well. Yeah, just for counterpoint for a city. You know, in contrast to the mm-hmm. richness of the other, it would be a good webinar to do. I think if you wanted to um, to do to practice, actually, mm-hmm. something that you could do very easily to entertain for yeah. a sit down dinner. Yeah, yep. that's the other part I really like to emphasize to, to give people those tools um, for entertaining because that's why right. people get mm-hmm. flustered. You know, and you should entertaining should be fun for you first. Right. You know what I mean? Right, and yeah. and all of this. All of it can be made if you think about it ahead enough that you're not in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Other than um, the steak would have to be done yeah. right then, yep. but then plating yep. it mm-hmm. really beautiful. Yep, easy breezy. And so we've got a, a technique to do the steak inside because we're in the fall now. We're, that's when we, we filmed this, and um, but it, the, the steak would go just as well um, outside too on the right. grill. And then you could just make the pan sauce just mm-hmm. in the pan by itself. Right. Um, but so we we really had a lot of fun making it and we had a lot of fun eating it afterwards yes and <laughs> and more fun eating it it's so funny because it's, it's we wish that everyone was here with us to just do the class in person mm-hmm. because that's where we have the most fun but someday, someday we'll get back there we will get back there and, and keep checking back yep. and we will publish when we're going to be able to come back live and in person and trust me we are chomping at the bit to yes. get back live and in person because that's really where you feel the love in the, in the kitchen is, is doing it with people and, and, and hearing the jokes and, and walking around and, and um and uh, and getting um, being able to sort of encourage people here right. and there when they might have a little bit of discomfort with what they're doing, and um, so that's where so that's where we are. And, and we really, really, really hope that you go and you check out the webinar. Um, we hope that you get in touch with us and let us know what you're doing to keep uh, to keep the spirit alive of of, of cooking and culture and food. Um, it's sort of our bread and butter. 
I definitely intended definitely a pun. Definitely hear it, Apatito, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep, yep. And, and pun intended, it is our bread and butter. <laughs> Just right. Um, Good pun. And, and we love it. And so anytime that you have uh, anything to, to tell us about those things, we would love to hear it. We love recipes. If you want to send us recipes, we would love to get them and incorporate them into um, to our, our webinars and our, um, our web classes. And then when we come back in person... And also, if anyone has stories of their own experience growing up in the Italian community in Milwaukee, too, we would love to hear those Absolutely. as well. Just yeah. to, to kind of complement what we've read um, and what we have here today, we'd love to, to, get, um, to get your input and your feedback on that. Um, so with that, Betty, thank you. Thank you, Brenda. This is a lot always of fun. a pleasure. Yeah, always a pleasure. We have a lot of fun that's with whatever right. we do. There's always, we always that's kind of right. crack each other up, so that's, that's a nice... Um, facet of our working relationship yeah. and we hope um, you had a really good time too so yes. um, please uh, come and join us for our web class uh, let us know what you think about the podcast and the web class uh, and, and any other any contributions you'd like to make we, we're here to keep um, community and uh, uh, family going culture going in times when we're not able to see each other in person so we hope you'll join us in doing that thank you ciao very much ciao for now ciao for now